up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. This episode is amazing. We have Mark McCurry from Microsoft Azure here to obviously talk about Azure and how they're implementing blockchain. But because we talk about cloud, we also cover a bunch of different topics and industries. So we talk about um, supply chain. We talk about dating apps, Starbucks, farmers, apartments. We cover so many different topics. Um, oh, and we also talk about Logic Apps. And if you want more information about Logic Apps, because um, we kind of dive into it, you can go into the link in the bio. So I hope you enjoy. I'm in the studio with Mark Mercury from uh, Microsoft. Did I say that right? No. No! Are you serious? Oh, no. It's okay. It's no, no, okay. no. Okay, so can, like, for it's the totally, listeners. I always, sorry. No, no, no. I like, I like that you're being honest, so I try not to edit the podcast. So for the listeners, right before we did this, I said it right on the first time, and I called that I would say it wrong. It's Mercury. Yes. Yes. But the thing is, no one ever gets it right. You got it right the first time, so that oh, counts for something. So it counts for, so one yeah. point, plus two points, minus one point. There you go. Okay, I'll take it. I'm in the positives. But, okay, so everyone write that down. When you have Mark Mercury on the podcast in the future. Um, so thank you for m- coming in today. Oh, happy to do it. Big fan of R3. Oh, we're a big fan of you. I'm so happy to have uh, you as a representative of Microsoft and you just in general. Um, for listeners, we just recorded some video and Mark was amazing. <laughs> He's looking down, doesn't want to take a compliment. So we have today for our booze and blockchain uh, segment, I guess, uh, we have rum and coke. I'm so happy that you added coke to the rum. Thank you for that. Well, you know, I uh, started for Microsoft in Puerto Rico, so we had lots of rum down there, and that became like a favorite drink. Yeah, so I'm very happy because I was drinking a few episodes ago rum totally straight, and it was warm, and it was tough to get through. So I'm happy to have the Coke. Cheers to you. Cheers, Cheers. for coming on. Thank you. We're going to try it. Yeah, that's nice. And I always forget how much I like Coke until I have it, and then... Goes down so smooth. So, how did you get started at Microsoft? Uh, I want to kind of jump into things all about Microsoft, blockchain, Azure. You, what's your story? Sure, at Microsoft or at blockchain in general? Uh, let's start with Microsoft and then jump in how you got into the blockchain space. Sure. So, uh, with Microsoft, gosh, 17 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, I was getting married. And I was at a startup, uh, having a lot of fun. And then I said, you know what? I probably should get something more serious um, here. Mm-hmm. And looked around, and Microsoft had just signed their largest project in the world for consulting in Puerto Rico. Wow. So I was like, hey, getting married. We can go live on a tropical island for a couple years. That sounds like fun. Uh, and that's what we did. And it ended up being an amazing project and learned uh, all the, the platform and working with, like, dozens of partners. And when that's your first project, like everything else, that's your normal to start with. Everything else is easy. So it was, yeah. uh, it was great to get started there. That's really cool. So from Puerto Rico, where did you where did you go in Microsoft? So from Puerto Rico, went to Redmond. And so moved right to HQ from there after a couple of years. Uh-huh. The, uh, the joke is my wife is English and learned French growing up. So the English accent with the French pronunciation of the Spanish words was not <laughs> destined for a long-term life in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Uh, so we moved to HQ, and I've done you know a bunch of strategy roles, uh-huh. architecture roles, um, and uh, everything in between, like cloud strategy. Did a bunch of things in mobile and whatnot. Uh, Microsoft cool. is great; it's, they really encourage you to move around. So I've had yeah. a chance to work on just a lot of. I ran a, a worldwide robotics competition and gave away cars at one point. Um, so cool. it's really been a fun ride. And so usually working on like the next thing, and then yeah. and and now I'm doing blockchain. Totally. So you're very like innovation kind of um, interested. Uh, so how did you land? in the blockchain world? 
Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Um, so at Microsoft, when you've been there a long time, um, you qualify. Uh, they call it an achievement award, but effectively it's a sabbatical. Uh-huh. And so I took a couple months off, and so I, and so I did uh, a lot of time with the family. And then when the kids went back to school, I had a month where I was going to do one thing I've always wanted to do, and like in one day I was just going to like crush it and power it. Cool. So one day I said I was going to become a Bitcoin miner, right? And so I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. So uh, let's just say at the end of the day. My wife comes upstairs. My office is a sauna. I've overclocked my gaming hardware, and I made like, well, back then it was not 18,000. It was, it was relatively modest, so not a lot of money. Um, so I decided that the Bitcoin miner wasn't for me, um, but the blockchain thing was kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. so when I went back from sabbatical, I ended up, uh, I ran something called the Strategic Program in a part of um, Azure, and started working with blockchain folks. And then I realized, hey, we need to go talk to customers about blockchain because it was all about the scenarios at that point and, and what made sense. Mm-hmm. So I spent like a couple years out in the wild, like working with the customers and doing, doing uh, workshops and figuring out like how to get to the right solutions. Mm-hmm. And then started prototyping something that people know now is, is Azure Blockchain Workbench. Yeah. And sort of came into the pro- and was working really closely with the product team, and then ended up joining the product team, and now I lead product. So it's been a roller coaster, but a lot of fun. Very cool. So around what year did you start? Like after you were mining, did you start really diving into blockchain? And so. I only mine for a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> true. true. <laughs> at least for Bitcoin, it's only mine for a day. Um, gosh, it's been, I don't even know how long. It's been at least three years. Very cool. Uh-huh. I mean, this technology is so new. There, I've talked to people who have been uh, kind of interested, obviously, in like the whole Bitcoin um, thing for, for years, and then some people who are just getting really into it. Mm-hmm. But three years is still like, we're still at the front of this technology, and everyone's learning so much. And yeah. um, so that is very cool. And you guys have worked on a few projects with us. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. We have a a customer success team, and Mm -hmm. so they work really closely with your folks um, doing some really, really interesting stuff. I think my... um my favorite one was sort of really the first big one the two companies did together was around um, InsureWave. Yes. It was just like this super compelling use case that it was really easy for people to understand. And and the reason why I liked it, it was this combination of, of blockchain plus um, IoT, yeah. uh, which is something that we see as a really big trend um, coming forward. And we have lots of people talking to us about. But it was really in the early, early days. So... Imagine you've got a ship, and it's sort of going into uh, waters where there might be pirates or uh, war or things that might be going on. And so you had to figure out insurance for that. Fairly complicated, and usually so complicated by the time they figured it out, you're already on the water. Yeah. Um, and so with Maersk and some other partners, um, and, and they worked with uh, R3 and Gartile Microsoft, Come up with this really cool solution where, you know, if you think about it, it's actually relatively straightforward, right? You just like, well, wh- why do the insurance premiums go up? Well, it's based on where you are. Well, yeah. how do I know where you are? We could use GPS. <laughs> so yeah. if you sort of track that and you had sensors, and then you brought that into the into the ledger, then you can have a testable information, and you can have logic that says, hey, if you're over here, um, guess what? That's pirate waters. That your insurance rate is going to go up a very significant amount, and then when you come back, it'll go down. So it's just a it, really simple and re- easy to understand. And when you look at it later, like, oh yeah, okay. So now if I have trust and transparency, and that includes data from sensors, mm-hmm. um, people can do business in a very different different way. Yeah. So um, so that's probably my favorite. Uh, there's uh, I know there's a couple big things that are going on right now. Yeah. Um, I think what's also pretty cool is that there are a couple projects. Um, actually, the project that um, that Azure Blockchain Workbench came about as, as us losing a deal um, <laughs> ages ago. And um, 
it ended up going to one of our competitors, and they went mm-hmm. with the competitor, and then they realized that was not the technology for them, mm. and they came back to work with R3. And so we're getting to work with them now like oh. on their actual production use case, which, cool. is, which for me is kind of cool. It's like that was like the one that got away. But yeah. it, it ended up, you know, Satya talks about having this growth mindset. So we said, how do we, what did we learn? And then we ended up coming with the product, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to have that sort of come back around and we get to work with them and bring that into production is just super cool. So that uh, is. it's a lot of fun. But that I don't know if that's really public cool. yet, so I can't say the name. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. Don't, don't, no worries. So you talk a bit about uh, the convergence of these technologies, like you mentioned IoT. Yeah. Have you focused a little bit about the IoT um, kind of world? I'm obviously super focused on blockchain, but I do love um, the thought of them all working together in the future. Yeah, no, I think the combination of, of, of IoT, blockchain, and AI yeah. are just super important. So if I think yeah. about um, blockchain, you know, what's it going to give me? Am I going to get uh, trusted, testable information, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get transparency in, into things that are going on across my multi-party process. Mm-hmm. And then AI is all about how do I make, um, how can I leverage data to make uh, decisions? Yeah. And so there's um, someone who talked to me about um, a scenario where they said, hey, we'd like to be able to sell people a apartment in like two clicks on their phone when they're in another country. And it's like, well, okay. how, would you, how would that work? Yeah. And so... It's like, well, what do you need? To, if you have a testable information, you could actually have AI make a bunch of decisions in that process, right? And you can mm-hmm. do stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. So if the property is in the government um, can attest that this person is a real person that's trying to sell it, he mm-hmm. actually owns a title to the building. Um, you think almost like Yelp for X, right? And say, well, and he has yeah. no complaints against him and that sort of thing. And those pictures are attestable as well. It's like, okay, well... The pictures I'm seeing are what I think it is. There's a testable information about the crime and other things in the area. The builder hasn't sold it multiple times. I can feel comfortable being on my couch in another city uh-huh. um, with what I'm seeing here. And so, okay, I feel comfortable that's that's reasonable. And then the person selling, they want to know if I am actually have the money to go do that. Well, my bank can attest to my wealth. My uh-huh. employer can attest to my to my income, which they already do today. But yeah, it's just yeah, not yeah. exposed on, on a blockchain someplace. And, I, and you could expose it with me having control. Mm-hmm. And so we can now trust each other. You can remove a broker who's taking 6%, which at the prices of houses in Seattle anyways in New York uh, is, is quite a fair bit. Uh-huh. And then you think, well, okay, if we have that information, could we choose to share that information with, um, say, an insurance company or a mortgage mm-hmm. company? Mm-hmm. Um, and could they offer me based on the details they know about me, the details they know about the property, uh, and give me a tailored um, and have AI on their side that has all this information? Say, yeah, Mark, you'll get a loan rate at this percent because we think you'll repay it and all these other things. Uh-huh. And similar to... Um, things for insurance. So, like, imagine you could be on your couch half a world away, two clicks, you bought a house, you got insurance, you got a mortgage, and it just sort of happens. I mean, this, like, for me, that's where I get really excited about where these things yeah. are come together. You know, the big thing right now is figuring out, like, what are the scenarios that make sense for blockchain? There's a bunch yeah. of stuff that just doesn't, and, and the database is just fine. Mm-hmm. But when it does make sense, getting all these together and having sort of this large set of attestable information and, you know, I know um, R3 and Microsoft are also talking a lot about tokenization and how do we sort of make this representation of real world things in, in the yeah. blockchain. And so once you have that layer there, you could start doing really interesting things with, with AI and then you can also start bringing in sensor data as well um, to add additional information. It gets really, really interesting. The one thing for me is yeah. that Microsoft... We have people coming in, and we have this thing called the Executive Briefing Center in Redmond. So we have people coming in all day, every day, saying, hey, we want to digitally transform our business. Mm-hmm. How should we think about this? So not only do we get to see what everybody wants to do 
and sort mm-hmm. of nudge them in the right direction for some of these things. We also get to play matchmaker and say, you think you want to go do this and you want to go do this. Who are you working with? Yeah. It's kind of like it's like uh, you're trying to set your friend up on a date. It's like, mm-hmm. I met this guy and I think he's really good for you. <laughs> and like, I know this girl and I think she's really good for you. Like, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And then you sort of <laughs> yeah. set them up together. And like, sometimes it's not a love connection, but a lot of times like, it is. And that also includes like governments and regulators because they want to, like yeah. the thing we've heard from governments too is like, hey, like, please don't be afraid of us. Like, we know this is coming. We want to figure out how to make it work with you and things like that. Yeah. So we get to do that. And so effectively, if you're building this giant set of um, scenarios that can all interconnect and you have a testable data, then the the AI stuff will come on top of that maybe like a year or two in, yeah. in a big way. And then it's going to be, I mean, the, the fundamental fabric of how things work can change very much like with the internet. Yeah. It's just everyone's trying to figure out how do they use it. And then once they use it, the really fun stuff happens. Yeah, so you have that you made a lot of great points in that. And I think well the apartment stuff is very relatable to me because yeah. I just moved. Okay. So I there were so many factors in yeah. having to move. And yeah. I had to connect to this person with that person and da da da. da. I was in a, a condo, so I had to get approved by the board and then or the owner, then the board, and yeah. then the building, and it was just crazy. And then I needed for all my um I I was ordering all new furniture. So I needed the delivery men to have a certificate of insurance yeah. um, and I ordered from all these different places yeah. <laughs> so it was just so many moving parts so that kind of speaks to me just because I was so stressed for a few months trying to figure everything out and the thought of being able to find the place you love and having all this work going on in the background without you yourself having to like go through the trouble yeah. is is it's very cool for me personally because I just went through it um, and additionally with the the setting people up like that made me think of something I've not thought about yet like dating apps could also be fun consortium apps yeah yeah I'm like I'm a I'm like the not the I'm not there's not an autonomous car yet so I'm like the driver yeah. that's doing that uh, but no totally and, and sort of it's, it's a, how do you match folks together yeah and then on the flip side of that there's like there's a whole bunch of things we're seeing with emerging markets which is just super cool just with the AI piece so you know, there's this underlying theme where people just sort of accept the way things are. And so we get to like challenge a lot of that. And so you have these smallhold farmers in uh, places like Africa. And so you know, two acres of land might make $350 a year. And mm-hmm. if there's a drought, it's horrific. Like mm-hmm. they don't eat, their kids get pulled out of school. It's just not a really good scene. And, and for insurers, they had challenges offering them drought insurance. Mm-hmm. But you say, well, let's step back a minute. Like what are the big costs that are there? So a lot of things that I do have nothing to do with technology. I spend time on the whiteboard just mapping out business processes. And it's like, so... You can use satellite data, and if I know where your farm is, we could use AI to say drought or no drought. We just do a classification, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if your big, pro- if one of your big costs is claims, mm-hmm. like, just get those out of the equation. Just say, you know what, you can get insurance for a much lower price. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we'll know if there's a, a, a drought, and we'll just send you, you know, quote unquote, a check. I mean, if you're in Africa, you might be sending like M-Pesa to their phone, which mm-hmm. these for, for for money in, in in certain parts. But I mean, you can take a lot and say, well, why do you? Why do you have to run so many things like in uh, another country as opposed to Africa? It's like, well, there's a lot of distance and sometimes paperwork gets lost and yeah. whatever. And it's like, well, what if you had that on a testable ledger where you had real-time trust and transparency? Because sometimes there's like filing deadlines and other things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you get a tablet for like $20. <laughs> you can charge it. Mm-hmm. You can walk out, talk to folks, get things recorded. And then you've, the onboarding process is, is very easy to go do. You can collect and send money using M-Pesa or things like that there. Mm-hmm. You can automate claims. And so you can say, wow, the combination of like, AI plus uh, blockchain or distributed ledgers 
could take something that was not a market that was even viable before, mm-hmm. uh, and now you can actually make money doing it and help a lot yeah. of people in the process. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch, there's this whole other undercurrent. We just announced the, some other stuff we did recently with, with Starbucks. And the, the thing I love about them is they focused on like the first 10 feet and the last 10 feet. Mm-hmm. So like the customers and their farmers. And they said, hey, you know what? For us, we could expose, um, like, is there something we could do with our data to help our farmers? And so okay. things they've talked publicly about, like, hey, some of the farmers don't know their, com- their coffee goes to Starbucks or even leaves the country. And they don't know like what a fair price is for their coffee. Or it's really hard to get credit because. How is that so? Because it gets sold through intermediaries. So what happens uh-huh. is you might have five different farmers. They come to the site and they drop their sacks of coffee off and they get bought and they get aggregated into a day lot. Mm-hmm. And they get separated up by high, medium and low quality and so on and so forth. And you have these aggregations and disaggregations going all the way through. So they just drop it off there and they don't really know where it goes to. And they don't necessarily know if they're getting a fair price. Um, and if you want to get a loan, you know, you can't go to the bank and say, hey, I'm, I'm working with a with, with, uh, you know, major coffee uh, company because they just don't know. But uh-huh. if you have that traceable ledger, um, if there's a way for them to, the Starbucks or other companies like that, to expose that information out so they could um, get a loan and maybe yeah. buy a little bit more land and that sort of thing. It's, it's very straightforward to do. It is, we figured out how to go do that with privacy and whatnot. Yeah. But you can do things that will fundamentally change people's lives for the better. Mm-hmm. And I just get really excited about that because a lot of people say, oh, it's all about efficiency and these things. And, and that's all true. But what I love to do is like, hey, let's look at what you have. And like, hey, if we, you have this data right here. Like mm-hmm. if we gave that, like, could we empower someone further down to do things they couldn't do before with that information? And yeah. the, a lot of times it, it's true. And you say, well, if that person who's my supplier at the start has a much better life, mm-hmm. they're going to like me more. They're going to be mm-hmm. able to produce more. They'll get more land and things like that. And it ends up driving this whole virtuous cycle, which I I think people are, um, some people start that way, and a lot of the enterprises we're having discussions with um, are looking at that as well and say, hey, yeah, there is stuff we can do for people downstream, and it isn't actually that difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of interesting things. But AI is at the uh, – like once you have that data, AI can do a whole bunch of really interesting things for uh, – for uh, a bunch of these uh, emerging scenarios. Yeah, I find, so a lot of times when I have people on the podcast, um, they're pretty, the, the use cases they're talking about are pretty specific. So yeah. we have like healthcare and insurance stuff. Sure. Um, I've had music industry, media, advertising, all that. So this is so cool having you uh, like an overarching kind of perspective sure. instead of just super specialized. Um, and there's value in both. I like that so far we've only been recording for like 15 minutes and we We've talked about uh, InsureWave, so supply chain stuff. We've talked about dating apps. We've talked about uh, Starbucks, so coffee and farmers. We've talked about apartments. We've talked about so many cool use cases for the technology and obviously AI enabling that technology as well. But it also makes me think of... um, We've kind of we're trying to start off a campaign of like Corda for good, yeah. And having your like, I obviously know the whole pitch with blockchain. It's great. You your data is so pure, right. And it's scalable. It's private. All that. Um, so I find this conversation is kind of opening up my mind to more of the things that I haven't th- thought about with the tech, um, even though I've thought about like Corda for good and having kind of people who get ripped off, for example, in the music industry, yep. you could be one of a hundred people who created a song and not be getting exactly your totally. your um, correct payment. Yeah. And then there could be a remix of that song and then you don't get anything. Totally. Um, so the pure data kind of thing applies to so many industries. Um, and the Starbucks example is very cool. 
I'm going to link that in the bio so people can read about it. Hey, one of the things that's, this is like one of my favorite scenarios is a company called Moog. And they came to us and they said, hey, here's the start of my scenario. Mm-hmm. You have an aircraft carrier in the Indian Ocean. You need a part. Like, where do you go? How do you solve that? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's like walk through it. And they said, well, you start off with a digital file. That's kind of like your music file, right? There mm-hmm. are rights holders and a whole bunch of information that's like that. So we want to put it in a marketplace and be able to have people be able to buy that. And they want to be able to 3D print it on the boat. Okay. And so you have to be able to acquire the license, but you also have to make sure that you're recording on the ledger that they've used the license so they're not printing it like 100 times because then they won't make any money. Got it. And then, by the way, so when you send them the file, you also have to be able to test that the file hasn't been changed mid-transit. So what if, like, uh, a rogue nation decides they want to hack this and change the thing, the part, because it's an airplane part. So if the plane falls out of the sky, people die and that sort of thing. And so there's, like, attestation of the file. There's Mm -hmm. the, like, tracking the provenance of who the rights holders are so they get paid and and also making sure it can print. um, Your 3D printer can print the right way so it requires certain metals. You have to do the burning of the license on the 3D printer. And then it becomes, and so there's all this, and then... Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a physical thing, and you start tracking the physical thing on the blockchain. And so it goes yeah. from, like, digital to physical, and you track, like, the whole lifetime and the usage of that part in the plane because that part may come out and be sold to someplace else and things like that. So it's totally wild, but it is, like, this mixture of physical and di- di- digital um, and tokens and, and rights management and uh, attestation. So for me, that's, like, the, the, the hodgepodge of, like, every scenario we see. And it's mm-hmm. kind of fun, like, when I talk about all these different scenarios, and I say, hey, by the way, and then there's this, which is all those things we just talk about. Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Thinking about just the digital and physical kind of, I don't know, hand-holding is also so cool. Well, think about, like, you've got uh, folks that are offering, like, uh, Walmart just said they're going to do a bunch of things, they're going to deliver them, like, next day. Uh Uh-huh. When I was I was telling my son the other day, it's like when I was a kid, it was if you ordered something for the back of a comic book, it was eight to six to eight weeks before you might see this thing. And now, yeah. but people are gonna like his generation, his kids are gonna want six to eight hours, which means yeah. people are gonna start 3D printing things locally, mm-hmm. so they'll be able to have these testable files and be able to uh, make sure they've been burned is gonna be super important for like this next generation of. Um, delivering folks who want stuff like right away and like yeah. for convenience and things like that. So there's a lot of the little things we're doing right now that the blockchain is going to make possible. But when you think about like what are our kids going to be able to go do, like the fundamental the fundamentals of how they live their life are just going to be different because the blockchain is going to help them go do that. Like if you said, hey, dad, I want yeah. this thing. It's like, okay, I'll take you to the store later. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be here in two hours. And it wasn't on a shelf yeah. two hours ago. They're just going to print it out. Or I need a part for my bike. It's like, okay, well, it'll be here in an hour. It's, it's kind of wild. That is wild. Um, I think 3D printing, uh, whenever I think of 3D printing, someone on our our board, Fred Dalibard, I don't know if you met him, he printed out this R3 logo in a 3D printer, and it's very, it's uh, it's great, and it's very accurate, actually, the way that it's all, um, I guess R3 dot is not that hard, but um, I think about the fact that he got it, and it's in our library right now in the office, and I was trying to move it for uh, shooting something, and like the whole thing fell apart, and it was my fault. So, Fred, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Um, but 3D printing and blockchain also together is something I also wouldn't have thought of before this yeah, conversation. Well. That's the fun thing at Microsoft. Like, everybody comes to us with what they're looking at and like, oh, yeah, like, I hadn't thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. And then you could start doing the – so then you do matchmaking for the scenario, like trade finance, and you do it for, um, for Providence. And uh-huh. you're like – Hey, wait a minute! Now you've got like these two mega groups. Like you guys should get together, and yeah. it's like you're you're playing. You're, you've got like different Lego sets, and you're bringing them together, and you're building a city and things like that. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Like I, am, 
I am so fortunate I get to do that like every day. Yeah. Like, it's just uh, it's just a ton of fun. No, I feel that way about this too, especially because I'm um, obviously working here at R3 and there's uh, there are so many use cases and, and things that people are coming to us that people who come in through our contact forms just about all these interesting, very different things that they would like to use the tech for is so cool. So I totally feel the same way. I'm so fortunate to even get to sit here and learn about this stuff today. Um, so I have a question that I I am a little, I'm very interested in and I'm a little confused about. <laughs> so sure. the obviously with Azure, um, so the concept, um, I have written this down actually, then the um, idea that public clouds and um, DLT or mm-hmm. blockchain are at odds, it, I feel like it's come up a little bit. Um, so like if you think of one of being like centralizing and one being distributed, how do you think that they are going to work together in an ideal world moving forward in the future? Yeah, so I think there's there's two parts to your question, right? So one mm-hmm. is... Um, if you put your ledgers into the public cloud, are they centralized because you're using one cloud provider? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the short answer for me is I've been to Microsoft 17 years. I love Microsoft. I'm also a realist. And so if we're mm-hmm. working the consortium as we are with you, with some folks, so there's like 30 members, invariably, just math says that at least one of them is going to be someplace else. Yeah. And so we start with the assumption that like there's going to be networking and identity and, and federation across clouds is something we're going to have to go do. Mm-hmm. And so for being in public cloud, and public net. So that's like the public cloud aspect of that. And so yeah. I think decentralization is, is, is fine. I think, and, and I think there's some scenarios where you want to have things that make sense to share everything with the folks in the public. So right now, there's if you want privacy on the public networks, it's largely you uh, encrypt it before you send it. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. But there's a number of scenarios we see where um, public makes sense. But then also there's uh, things you do in a private context where aspects of that you do want to make public for attestation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an interesting thing where you know, private makes a lot of sense, public makes a lot of sense, and then hybrid is really interesting. But I think yeah. you know, the same things I see with private right now, there's a lot of that is driven in similar things we saw with private cloud versus public cloud at, mm-hmm. at Microsoft. And so what are that? Well, regulation. Like, what is it? Yeah. Uh, and so there's things like, imagine you've got a node from a public network running inside of your data center. Okay. And great. So I'm, I'm getting everything from the public net. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose there's a, a truly awful person out there, and they put some pictures that are exploitive of children on there. Mm-hmm. They're now on your machine. You're now distributing those to everyone else. You didn't actually, there weren't any part of your transactions, but they're part of the public net. Like, what is your liability for Oy. that? Yeah. Um, if you're doing something where there's a token that you get, and then you give it to someone else, and you give it to someone else, and you give it to someone else, and eventually ends up in the hands of a, a rogue nation or a sanctioned state, and they start using that to get fiat currency, mm-hmm. what's your liability there? There's just a whole bunch of unknowns on the regulation side, just yeah. like there were in the early days of cloud, that people don't know. Um, and so they're going to do more things on private chain for those scenarios. I think the other thing is the speed. In a mm-hmm. public chain or a public network, um, it's slow because people inherently don't trust each other. You could have yeah. you know, responsible adults drinking rum at like 10 o'clock in the morning like us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> but uh, I, I did it. And then um, yeah. you could have folks that are like uh, terrorists and, and uh, money launderers and, and, and drug cartels and that sort of stuff. And so with that lack of trust, the algorithms used are slower and, and more uh, cost intensive. But in a private chain... We all work together. Like it's it's a, a set of businesses that work together. So there's, there's natural disincentives there. But I also know which city and state and country are you incorporated in. What are my legal remedies if there's an issue? I don't know that, that people are anonymous on the public chain. 
so people are less likely to go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have control over. The, I can run on a private network where I control the speeds and and availability and that sort of thing. Uh, I think the other thing that's that's there, if we look at sort of the private networks, is that um, there's also legal agreements that are there. They're not in the public um, public networks. So mm-hmm. if we're doing business, we have a contract typically. Uh, maybe those evolve to smart contracts over time. But there's just a number of things where private is just easier for people to say yes to. Okay. And while on the public side, people are figuring out things like speed and, and governments are going to cut off on regulation. And eventually, just like with cloud, I think you'll see a lot of stuff move to public. Some stuff will stay in private, and there'll be hybrid scenarios between the two. Um, um, but right now, the majority of the folks that we, we're working with are doing the bulk of their work in private because of the things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's certain scenarios like public attestations and things like that, which just don't make sense to go in private, and they're all going to public. Totally. Um, but I hear some people like – sometimes people are in camps like, oh, well, that public – chain is just for crypto kitties and stuff like that. That's not true at all. Um, <laughs> there's a number of scenarios that people are using for business cases, you know, whether doing attestation of things from their supply chain um, that they're sort of putting up there for the public or, you know, whether it's other um, other things people are doing. we just doing some stuff around identity that we're pushing out to, to, to Bitcoin. So there's mm-hmm. lots of, there are valid use cases and people sort of arbitrarily write it off. Um, but the bulk of our work right now is in, in, in private cloud. But when we do tools, like we released a bunch of tools last week. Mm-hmm. It's for public and for private and even for local too, because that's the other thing is that some people want to develop on their local development machine. So how do you give them something locally they can use? But that's a whole other ball of wax, right? So how do you, totally. as a developer, how do you do things like you might do in a database when it's wildly different than a database, right? It's not just a bunch of yeah. uh, records you're loading up. It's a set of transactions that are signed, and it's everyone assumes it's easy until they go do it, and they go, oh, yeah, it's not the same. So totally. anyways. Totally. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I have two more things before I let you go. Okay. I'm holding you hostage. Um, but, I still have rum. You're good. <laughs> that's true. Maybe I should talk some more so you can keep drinking. Um, so uh, one would be before we were talking about developers and you were talking about three different kinds of developers. Can you um, talk a little bit about that? Because I found that very interesting. Yeah, no, it, it was something that... that um, was pretty cool that we so last year around this time we released this thing called Azure Blockchain Workbench. Mm-hmm. It was really designed like we saw people were spending like eight to twelve weeks and like four to five hundred thousand dollars on these POCs, but most of that was not due to anything with the blockchain. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of developing the solutions. So we released that. It unlocked a bunch of creativity, and so we saw two thousand customers build um, thousands of apps, mm-hmm. and we saw lots of really interesting developer patterns. So one is, not surprising, there's like the smart contract developer, and they wanted to have like a great experience just to write their smart contracts and deploy them to the chain. Mm-hmm. Then you had the full stack developer that wanted to do that, plus they did the front end, they did the back end, they did integration with databases, and they really wanted to be like super productive there. And you had other people that were, if you took the full stack developer and you went into the enterprise, sometimes you still had those, but sometimes they were like broken apart. So you could have uh, Dave, who is the database developer, and Mary, who's the front end developer, um, and they really didn't. They were working on a blockchain project, but they didn't want to ramp up on writing like smart contracts and flows and that sort of thing. They just wanted to build their front end. Or they wanted to build their database. And so, mm-hmm. um, one of the things we spent a lot of time in is like, how can we help them um, do their job without having to pick up this new skill if they don't want to do it? And yeah. so we're looking at like, could you like right click on a flow or right click on a smart contract and then automatically generate all the code that would push the data into the database? So you create the database schema and you the code to push it in. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't know about that. Uh, or I don't want to learn about uh, blockchain necessarily, I can still participate and, and make a lot of money and be a contributing member of an end-to-end blockchain team. Mm-hmm. And so 
that was all well and good. But then there's also what they call like the citizen developer. Some people call them a power user. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, one of the things I've seen, and I know uh, when I talk to folks who are three, if you guys have seen it as well, is that there's no shortage of interest in blockchain. Yeah. It's like the number one request on our site. I think Gartner and other folks, it's, it's similar. But the biggest problem has been friction. So if you get tools for the other two, those all make sense and those people we typically uh, work with. Mm-hmm. But then we also said, hey, you know what? There's a bunch of folks that are, their development tool is Excel. Yeah. Or they're in SharePoint. Um, so in these traditionally like business-focused productivity tools. And so could we enable them to be able to do things with the blockchain? And, and instead of coding, which those other groups we just talked about are doing, they're doing more configuring. So we can say, hey, um, there's this existing blockchain that's out there. There's a, co- a specific contract I want to pay attention to or a set of contracts I want to pay attention to. And then when something happens, let me go do something. Let me take some action. Or when, yeah. when I do something in my business, um, I want to be able to send that to the blockchain. And so sometimes it's... It's it's something where, hey, um, I'm making a change here. I'm filling out a form in SharePoint. And then when I hit um, enter, I want to go to the blockchain. And that's mm-hmm. really easy to go do. But there's also, hey, you know what? Um, something's just happened in the blockchain, and it's important. So um, one of the things we're going to demo at an event here with, with you guys today is a scenario around um, uh, dairy consortium. Mm-hmm. And so... Dairy, like milk and meat and other things like that, is super sensitive to temperature. And it, it can actually go bad and go off if it gets too high. So we actually are monitoring that with IoT. Mm-hmm. And so when that goes off, you want to make sure that you actually let people know so you can make sure it, before it gets to a consumer. Yeah. So like ice cream is a big scenario like this too, right? So if ice cream melts and refreezes, you can't really tell mm-hmm. until people start getting really, really sick. So if IoT can tell you when that happens, what you want to do is have them text me, call me, send me an email yeah. as soon as that happens. And so you can allow someone to very easily add that um, and sort of build this sort of quote-unquote app out uh, if they want to. And they may even want to just have something just for alerts in general. So we have this thing called Power Apps where you can do low-code, no-code, not just like integration, but also like an app that can go on web or mobile. You don't need to be a developer for that. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty cool. But I mean, when I started, uh, it was like 8 to 12 weeks and four to $500,000. And now we're talking like 8 to 12 minutes in free. Like yeah. if you got your blockchain already, otherwise the blockchain you pay for for the you know, the usage of you know, whatever the, the license is for it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and, and so I've been, as I said, at Microsoft a long time, and I've seen these sort of waves. And mm-hmm. when you sort of take something that's really, really difficult, yeah. and you make it super easy, you sort of democratize access to it, mm-hmm. people build a ton of stuff. Yeah. Now, some of it is not very good. <laughs> But that's the stuff, happen. That, but the stuff that's good is amazing. Yeah. And if you think about the potential of the, the scenarios we talked about earlier, there's a bunch of stuff we haven't even talked about yet or haven't even figured out yet that someone who now has access to tools is going to figure out and do the next big thing that no one's not thought about but will change the world. So, yeah. um, like I said, I'm excited to come to work every day. So. Me too. Hey, cheers to cheers that. that. <laughs> you kind of answered two of my questions um, in one. So, but we, we you. I had Sarah Lynch on um, the podcast very briefly. It was like a five-minute segment, and sure. she talked about Logic Apps. Um, mm-hmm. And for anyone who didn't listen to that episode, and just uh, we don't have to go into all the stuff, but what exactly are Logic Apps? What are you using them for? And also, we have um, here someone sent a physical – do you know about this? A physical um, thing to connect Corda to – 
<laughs> no, I've not seen this. Sarah's going to be mad at me because I'm messing it up. <laughs> but we got a, like a toolkit thing from Microsoft. Oh, yeah, I sent that over. It's, you it's, sent it over? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's, um, Can you explain that, what that is? Sure, sure. So um, I'll start with that and then go back to Logic App. Yeah, now I asked two questions in one. I always do that. I start with one and then I completely spiral. But So going back to the thing about IoT is really interesting. Yeah. Um, like one of the ways that I can help people do that, you can do get simulated devices online. Mm-hmm. But uh, for partners like yourselves, I like to send out this kit. And mm-hmm. so there's like the theatrics of like having a hair dryer against a temperature sensor like on stage yeah. people love it and it's like if, I don't know what it is but a hair dryer and a sensor is, is wonderful but we this kit has temperature humidity um, RFID NFC GPS, so all these sensors, and we have a little Raspberry Pi that has software <laughs> built into that that talks to our IoT service, and so you can go ahead and collect the data really easily and do all sorts of experiments and, and try things out, and then that IoT service will send messages into to Azure, and so mm-hmm. the Logic apps can listen for those messages mm-hmm. and send them on to the to the ledger using the connector for Corda that we'll be releasing short, soon. The other thing is that when you look at what Logic apps are, it's like um, if this then that for enterprise integration. Mm-hmm. And so, imagine, so Microsoft's been in the blockchain business as long as anyone else. I think we started in 2015. But the Microsoft's been in the integration business for 30 years. And so, imagine, like, 30 years' experience of solving, like, these tough, gnarly problems mm-hmm. and then putting them into these little, like, Lego bricks that you can start stitching together. And so, what's fairly cool is that there's, like, the big stuff, like, how do I connect to Office or how do I connect to SAP or to Oracle or Salesforce or Dynamics and those sorts of things. So cool. And then there's, like, the... The, like the enterprise is messy, right? It's like yeah. these really ugly things that no one thinks about until they actually go to build a blockchain solution. It's like, Mark, I believe in the vision. We're going to get there. But right now, I'm getting I'm a multi-billion dollar financial institution, but I still get files over FTP. Yeah, and I yeah. need to get that data into the ledger. Like, how do I pick them up? How do I parse that? How do I get in it? Or like... Six months from now, we're going to be great. But right now, I get a PDF as an email attachment, and I need to get that in a ledger on an automated way. Like, how do totally. I go do that? Totally. And you're like, oh, God, man, this is going to be awful. <laughs> but then with, like, Logic Apps, it's like, okay, in a couple hours, you got it working and testing, and, like, okay, we're on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Just because all, integration problems have been solved already. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about that. Like, we've got the tools that will help you get there. Like, what you want to do is get it onto the – at the end of the day, you want to figure out, like, what are the smart contracts, the flows that I'm building mm-hmm. of how I'm going to re-architect my business. Getting data in and out of that, those are problems that have been solved for decades. And then there are tools like this that make it really easy where you don't really need to think about it. It's sort of yeah. they abstract away all the difficulty. It's like, okay, wh- and they have these things called, like, triggers and actions with Logic Apps. Mm-hmm. So when a file is delivered, then go ahead and um, read that, and then for every line – push it to the ledger for this thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that simple. You talk about like media scenarios. And mm-hmm. so we did something. We had seen this recurring theme where people wanted to be able to get media because you don't put media on the blockchain itself, on the, on the ledger itself. What t- people typically do is they put a hash of the file on there so it hasn't been changed. Mm-hmm. And we evolve that a little bit where we say, okay, we're going to hash the file. We're going to hash the metadata. Mm-hmm. Because if, if suppose you, like, um, you're a photographer. Mm-hmm. You can hash the file and say this file hasn't changed, but people could change the who owns it. Mm-hmm. And so people could then say, oh, well, yeah, that's great, but that's not Mark's image anymore. That's Tony's image. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can ha- you can hash the uh, the metadata about that so everything about that is known. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes if it's a document, we'll also do um, do OCR and we'll sort of capture all the text from the image. And then we'll mm-hmm. hash that as well in case that may sit someplace else and if people change it, you can always go back and take a look at it. Okay. But we use that for everything you can imagine, like making sure is this – we've had people say, hey, you know what? The, the version of Pinocchio you sent me in Italy was in French. And, like, there's a problem. We need to, like, sort out how does that – 
that money work. Mm-hmm. Um, to the thing with Moog, like make sure this hasn't been tampered with. Mm-hmm. To in pharmaceutical, hey, um, clinical trials are worth probably hundreds of millions of dollars. And sometimes someone who's been, a scientist who's been working on a clinical trial for a while um, sees data that doesn't point to the hypothesis he had. Yeah. Sometimes, believe it or not, they'll actually go and change that, the documents, to sort of prove their outcome, which no one wants. The pharmaceutical companies don't want. The government doesn't want. So if you can detect that those documents that you put into SharePoint have been uh, tampered with, um, or they're not the same as they were when they were put in, you could say, hey, wait a minute, there's something funny there. We can go take a look at it. Yeah. And then if you have those attestations that are in there and you have AI, you can say, hey, like this doesn't look right, mm-hmm. and then sort of automatically flag stuff for you and things like that. So lots of really interesting things um, uh, on that front. And so Logic Apps really, no matter what type of integration you want to do, whether it's media or files or docs or legacy systems or, or, or services or SaaS, they've got all these Lego bricks out of the box. And we're really excited because uh, the next Lego brick or the next connector out of the box is Corda. And so yeah. you'll be able to take all these together and mix them together with Corda and whether you're using them to help get stuff into Corda or get stuff out of Corda, then send them on to other things downstream, uh, it's going to be like drop-dead simple. I've got a great demo that we're going to show today, and I think you guys are going to release in one of your marketing materials um, closer to release. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just it's got Power Apps and Office and SharePoint and IoT all pulled together. And like you could build something like that in like two days, where it used to be like 8 to 12 weeks. And you, yeah. for 8 to 12 weeks, by the way, when we say that people were doing these demos that were really expensive, it was like a command prompt and text would just scroll. And like execs would be like, hey, that's either the opening to the matrix or my business process. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm not going to give you money to go build this for real. Yeah. And so when we say things now, it's like it looks like a real, it's it's boring, but like boring is good. It looks like Office or yeah, Excel yeah, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So uh, anyways, clearly, uh, I love technology, so I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, oh, my goodness. No, I could talk or I could listen to you forever. Um, and I like how passionate you are about all of this stuff. And the Logic Apps stuff is very cool. It's super interesting. And there's so many different things you can connect in different industries and yeah, apps. Me, one, one quick example, just so people get it. So we had, um, <laughs> an, we call it airlift. So we bring in a bunch of partners to test some things out. Like partners mm-hmm. in this case are people who are building stuff for different vertical industries. Mm-hmm. And this guy came in and he had the smart contracts for doing uh, um, uh, billing processes for pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Uh, or for, I'm sorry, for, for healthcare. In two hours, he had he used the connectors and he used um, power apps and he had a web app, a mobile app, and had all this running together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I think this might have saved me like a couple of months just by having this thing for like a day. Wow. No, so like for me, it's all about velocity and like optimizing for the hour and giving people like what can you do in an hour and that sort of thing. And so I'm just incredibly excited about like when we take that and we bring it to Corda, what your customers are going to be able to do with it, or I guess our yeah. customers are going to be able to do with it, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, thank you. That was a good example. All right. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. Um, I loved having you in here. I could honestly talk to you for hours, um, and I think my brain would be much bigger than it is now. Um, So thank you for coming in today. And I'm going to link to some of the stuff that you talked about um, in the the info in this podcast episode. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mark Mercury. Oh, there you go. So you say it like that, I'll come back, and I'll bring bourbon next time. (laughs) Deal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. The next episode will feature Mariana Gomez from ING. It's an amazing one, as always. Aren't all these episodes amazing? I should just stop saying that. But um, no, it's a great episode, so definitely stay tuned for that. Keep an eye out for it. Um, just a funny story. So last night, we, a few coworkers, actually it was a, it was a good amount of us, we went to Korean barbecue, um, which I've never had before, which is a 
a ridiculous thing because it was like all my favorite foods. So I don't know why I've never been, but it was amazing. And then we went to karaoke, which was also very fun and interesting. And I was, I, I before I'm recording this, I was laughing looking at videos I was taking from the night before. This probably won't translate, but I just want to play for a second. My coworker, Connor, so it was a lot of, there were a lot of salespeople there um, selling Corda Enterprise, and this is his version of um, Adele's song. Let's see. hope I didn't just shatter your eardrums by playing that, but it was really funny. And he turned the song into all about Corda Enterprise. So that's what you get when you hang out with people from R3. Uh, bad singing, sorry Connor, and uh, a good time and lots of talk about Corda. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. Oh, Life in the Fast Chain. Life in the Fast Chain. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye.